0: Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel and to Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9, and we're reading from verse 10 down to verse 17. Uh, you'll find our reading on pages 8, uh, pages 866 and 867 of the Pew Bibles, pages 866 and over into 867. Uh, we're reading a really famous story tonight. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, Luke chapter 9. And we're beginning at verse 10, reading down to verse 17. This is God's word to us. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go to buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each and they did so and made them and they did so and made them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces amen and we thank god for his word to us this evening Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, You'll find the passage that we're looking at tonight on pages 866 over into 867 of the Pew Bibles. And uh, as you're turning that passage up, uh, let's pray briefly for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that we would Still our hearts and our minds as we come to it this evening. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, and that we would leave changed and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We have a problem tonight. It's a problem that we don't have often, but we do face it now and again. It's a problem that can't be solved. It's a problem that can't really be fixed, but it's a problem worth mentioning. What is our problem tonight? It's that we know the story in front of us so well. Jesus feeding the 5000 is the most famous story from the life and ministry of Jesus. All four gospel writers include the story in their narratives. All four gospel writers tell the story in a different way and add in their own details or put their own emphasis on it. But all four gospel writers tell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Our problem leaves us with a question. What are we going to do with this story? Are we simply going to relegate it to the position of being a lovely story for boys and girls to learn? A lovely story that reminds adults of their childhoods. We could just rattle through the story like we always rattle through Bibles, Bible passages. Go through it verse by verse, Jesus is teaching, people have no food, the disciples are worried, but Jesus provides, isn't he great, let's go home. On the face of it, relegating it or rattling through it don't seem like particularly attractive options. They're also not viable options for this simple reason. This is holy scripture. This is God's word to us. This is the living and active word of the supreme and majestic God of heaven. What we believe about the Bible is actually really important when we come to a story like this. If we have a high doctrine of scripture, the problem we face tonight isn't actually much of a problem. That's because we'll recognize that every time we open this book, the Lord speaks to us. Every time we open the Bible together in church the Lord speaks to us. Every time we open the Bible by ourselves in our own personal devotions, the Lord speaks to us. And that includes when we open our Bibles to the most well-known story about Jesus. What we need to pray tonight, what you need to pray tonight as I'm talking, is that we would understand this story in a fresh way and see it with fresh eyes. To help us do that, I want to approach it in a slightly different way. Uh, Last week there was an article in the Times about how Taylor Swift writes her songs. Uh, I will admit to the fact that the music of Taylor Swift is a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, For those of you who don't know who Taylor Swift is, uh, as of 2019 she'd sold almost 40 million albums worldwide. Uh, She's also won hundreds of awards and has broken 59 Guinness World Records. You might not expect me to be a Taylor Swift fan, but there you go. You learn something new every day. Anyway, in the article, Swift explained how she writes her songs. She explained that she has quill lyrics, fountain pen lyrics, and glitter gel pen lyrics. Quill lyrics are songs that have antiquated words and phrases. If my lyrics sound like a letter by Emily Dickinson's great-grandmother while sewing a lace curtain, that's me writing in the quill genre, she said. And then there are glitter gel pen lyrics. They live up to their name, Swift says. These are frivolous, carefree, bouncy, syncopated perfectly to the beat. Glitter gel pen lyrics don't care if you take them seriously because they don't take themselves seriously. The the third category are fountain pen lyrics. Now this is going somewhere, so stay stay with me. Fountain pen lyrics, they they mean a modern storyline or references with a poetic twist, trying to paint a vivid picture of a situation down to the chipped paint on the door frame and the incense dust on the vinyl shelf, placing yourself and whoever is listening in the room where it all happened. What I want to do tonight is to approach this story as though it has been written in fountain pen. I want to try and paint a vivid picture of the situation and place ourselves where it all happened. And in doing that, we'll hopefully understand more deeply the the truths of this classic biblical story We're going to try and view this story through the eyes of the boy who provided Jesus with the bread and fish. Now, the boy isn't mentioned by Luke. He's only mentioned by John. Uh, John 6 verse 9 is the reference if you're taking notes. It's also up for debate as to whether or not he was a boy or a young man. The, the, The word in the original can mean either a young man or a young slave. To me, it's more likely that a young man in his teens gave Jesus the resources to feed this great crowd rather than say, a six year old. With all that said, let's try and paint a vivid picture of the situation this young man found himself in. Bethesda was a quiet place, your typical northern small town. Nothing much ever happened. People rarely moved out of the area and those from the area rarely moved in. Basically, if you lived and grew up in Bethesda, you got old and died in Bethesda. He knew this and he liked small town life. The fact that he could go down the main street and stop and talk to anyone. The fact that everyone helped each other out. He came from a well-known family. They weren't the richest, but they got by. He helped with the family business of repairing boats. Bethesda was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, so there was always plenty of work. It also meant there was plenty of fish to eat. His childhood was normal. He grew up with his siblings and did all the things that kids do, skim stones on the lake, explore the beautiful yet barren landscape, attend the synagogue every week, and help out with synagogue life whenever necessary. Faith was important in his family. His parents brought him up well and taught him the law and the prophets. He knew right from wrong from an early age. Despite growing up in a, in, a stable, in a quiet place, in a stable family, he had a yearning for something more. He wasn't sure what he was looking for, but he knew that the life he had wasn't quite complete. He knew that the life he was living wasn't quite full, that his heart and soul weren't quite satisfied. The sea was so often a picture of his quiet life, still and calm. But just as he skimmed stones and saw the ripples that followed, so ripples began to affect and spread around Bethesda. He's just another one of those, those money hungry preachers. They, they come and they go, he'll be the same. He's able to perform miracles like the prophets of old. Did you hear about what he did to the pigs on the other side of the lake? The, the ripples in his normally quiet life were caused by Jesus. The people were talking about him all the time. He heard the stories, he was told about the miracles. There was actually someone in Bethesda who had seen a miracle firsthand, but he could never speak to that person by themselves. They were always entertaining a crowd. But he wondered, wondered what it would be like to see Jesus, wondered what it would be like to meet Jesus. Who was he? He seemed different. It wasn't long before there was a lot of chat about a group of people Jesus had sent out to perform miracles and preach They were popular, engaging speakers who offered something that the religious establishment didn't, hope and forgiveness. Once their mission was over, they obviously needed a break. They had been busy. They had worked hard. All sorts of rumors were flying around about where they were going to take their break. When it was finally confirmed, his heart leapt. Bethesda, Jesus and his apostles were coming to stay in Bethesda, his town. They, they couldn't keep a lid on the news. It spread like wildfire across the region. Who needs WhatsApp when you've got connections like this? People from all over the place appeared in Bethesda. They lined the streets. They booked out the B&Bs. And, B, the B, B and, and then he came. And everyone was so excited. Je- Jesus in Bethesda. There were so many people in the town that they had to go out to the countryside. It was barren. It was a bit bleak. But the crowds kept coming and coming and coming and he was part of it. Before he left the house he had had shoved a bit of bread and some fish into his knapsack. And they just listened to Jesus for hours. You know when you're with someone and time just flies by? You don't notice the time go by? That's what it was like on that crisp afternoon. Jesus preached and preached and preached. And everyone, young, old, rich, poor, everyone listened carefully. There was something different about him. Something magnetic. Something that just drew you to him. He sensed it in his heart. When Jesus talked about entering his kingdom and being part of his kingdom, that's all he wanted in all the world. Time moved so quickly, no one noticed the shadows lengthening. And then there was a murmur that went through the crowd, a ripple of unease, because here they were in the middle of nowhere, far from home and far from food the apostles were were particularly uptight about this issue about the food issue they they were pacing through the crowd shouting we we need food has anyone got any food he didn't move initially because he thought that someone else would have something but no one had anything all he had was a bit of bread and some fish but he decided he'd, he'd have to do something So he quietly nabbed one of the apostles, pulled at his clothes, and they whisked him to Jesus. He had wondered, wondered what it would be like to see Jesus. Wondered what it would be like to meet Jesus. And now here he was, meeting Jesus. He didn't really get to say anything to Jesus. The apostles were so uptight. This kid has only got five loaves and two fish. That's it, there are 5,000 men here, never mind the women and children. What are we going to do, Jesus? Jesus was so calm about the whole situation. He took the food and thanked him, and that was it. The apostles had whisked him to Jesus. Now he was being whisked away from Jesus. But he wondered, wondered what Jesus was going to do next. All, All of a sudden, people were being moved around, The disciples organized people into groups of 50. Someone nearby cracked that it felt like they were the children of Israel in the wilderness. There was something to that, actually. He he, he had ended up in a group near Jesus. He had been whisked away, but not so far away that he couldn't see him. What happened next was surreal. Jesus prayed and blessed the food he had given him, and then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples. And they just kept going and going and going and going, until everyone was fed, until everyone was full, until everyone was satisfied. When everyone was finished, there were twelve full baskets left over, 5,000 men fed, not to mention the women and children, and twelve full baskets left over, from a bit of bread and a bit of fish. He hadn't done anything, he had just shoved them in his knapsack before he had left the house. He didn't even really want to tell anyone that he had given Jesus the food. They probably wouldn't have believed him anyway. But it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. Jesus had performed the miracle. Jesus had fed the hungry crowd. As dusk became nightfall, everyone slinked back to their homes. He didn't have far to go. As he slipped up to his room at the end of the most incredible day, he couldn't help but feel satisfied. Not because his stomach was full, but because his heart was full. Because that feeling of incompleteness that had been bothering him for so long was now gone. Jesus had filled it. The sea was so often a picture of his quiet life. But not tonight. The twelve baskets were. They were full, just like his heart. And Jesus had done that. We've tried to paint a vivid picture of the situation. We've we've tried to place ourselves where it all happened. I don't know if it's worked or not, but it's a, a creative attempt to get around the problem of knowing this story back to front. It's a creative attempt to avoid the truths of this passage just passing us by. What does this story teach us? What does this most famous of all miracles teach us about ourselves and about Jesus? Let me round this up by giving you two big takeaway points from this story. Here's the first. There's a limit to what we can do for ourselves spiritually. There's a limit to what we can do for ourselves spiritually. This story can be understood as a real-life parable. What happens in it can be seen as as a representation of our spiritual standing before God. It's fascinating to notice what the apostles do. They return from their mission exhausted they need some time away. They follow Jesus to Bethesda, listen to him teach the crowds, and then panic when the day wears away. They want the, the, the crowd to clear off in verse 12. Send the crowd away, Jesus. Tell them to go home, Jesus. I, I don't know how the apostles were feeling at this point, but I would guess from Luke's retelling of it that we're supposed to see an arrogance, an arrogance about them, an arrogance in their heart. That's supported by what comes in verses 46 to 48 when they're bickering over who's best. But what we have in verse 12 is incredible. The disciples come to Jesus and give him advice because they think he needs it. Their promotion to apostles had had maybe gone to their head. We'll tell him what to do. We've done this ministry thing now. Jesus is really clever in his response to them. He doesn't debate with them. He doesn't have it out with them. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, you give them something to eat. You, you go ahead, you sort it. You, you give them something to eat. The disciples reply and say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. It's important to imagine the tone of this. Gee, Jesus, we have only got a bit of bread and like two fish. What, what are we going to do with that? Do you think we have the money, the resources to to buy food for all these people? It's only at that point that Luke actually reveals the extent of the crowd, for there were about 5,000 men. And there were the disciples thinking that they could sort it. In a very unsaid way, Jesus then says to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. In other words, I've got this. You don't have this, but I do. And the lesson is that there's a limit to what we can do for ourselves spiritually. The disciples' desire to sort the problem out themselves is so deeply ingrained in our hearts. We think that we can sort ourselves out spiritually. We think that if we can add the veneer of religion to our lives, we'll be able to stand before the Lord of glory. We think that if we're nice enough people, if we do enough kind things in our life, God will accept us. Wrong. There's a limit to what we can do for ourselves spiritually. It's our natural disposition for us to tell God what to do. It's not our natural disposition to seek after him. For us to come to know him, he must first of all work in our hearts. Which brings us to our second big takeaway point. There's a limit to what we can do for ourselves spiritually. And Jesus is the only one who can save us and satisfy us. As we try and piece together our understanding of who Jesus is, this miracle is a really important clue. One person I read this week really helpfully pointed out that there are three places in Luke's gospel where we're told that Jesus takes bread, thanks God for it, breaks it, and then gives it to people. The first time that happens is here in Luke 9, 10 to 17. The second time it happens is in Luke 22 at the Last Supper. The third time is the meal Jesus has at Emmaus in Luke 24. Each of these is a point in Luke's narrative where there's a profound recognition of Jesus' mission and identity. The person who pointed this out says, Luke thus employs the formula took, blessed, broke, gave in three critical and calculated contexts in each instance of which the breaking and dispensing of bread to the disciples is a revelatory symbol of Jesus' self-giving for the church in his passion and resurrection, through which his disciples recognize him as the fulfillment of the scriptures. Luke's account of this miracle is full of Old Testament echoes. Splitting up the people into groups of 50, that reminds us of Moses and Elijah. The provision of bread in a remote place, what does that remind us of? reminds us of the Lord's gift of manna. The 12 basketfuls remind us of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's full of the Old Testament, this story. And the point is that Jesus is able to provide richly for his people. Luke stresses that everyone who ate was satisfied. And even after everyone ate as much as they wanted, there was plenty left over. Jesus' resources weren't even close to being exhausted. I- I- eating food is a, is a universal and intimate experience. It's no wonder that food and, and eating are so frequently used as spiritual metaphors in scripture. Spiritual blessings are sometimes described in terms of physical food. Jesus calls him the, himself the bread of life and demands that we feast on him if we would be his disciples. When we read this miracle, we should realize that there's a deeper truth at play. It's not just a nice story for boys and girls. It tells us that Jesus is the only one who can save us and satisfy us. Even in places where where food is abundant, there's a spiritual hunger that abounds in every human heart. In Downings, in Slovakia, there is a hunger for God. Our souls all long for the peace and meaning and purpose that can only come from knowing God and being known by him. Despite growing up in a quiet place, in a stable family, he had a yearning for something more. He wasn't quite sure what he was looking for, but he knew that the life he was living wasn't quite complete, that his heart and soul weren't quite satisfied. That is a description of us before we come to know Jesus. And in the absence of not knowing him, we will fill our lives with any number of things to find deep soul satisfaction, success, money, entertainment sex family religious performance all of those things can be good in their proper context but none of them none of them can bear the weight of our soul's longings none of them can satisfy the hunger of our hearts like a thirsty man drinking seawater the more of those things we consume the worse our problem becomes our problem is not primarily with our desire for satisfaction the problem is where we look for it It's an expression of our fallen nature that we look for fulfillment in such unsatisfying places. But the great news is, the good news is, that Jesus is the one who can save us and satisfy us. Jesus can feed our starving souls until they can't eat anymore. In that remote place, everyone was hungry, absolutely everyone. They were famished. And there, with with no other means of provision, Every single person who looked to Jesus for help was able to eat until they were fully satisfied. It's the same spiritually. We are empty and broken, spiritually speaking. There's a a longing in our souls for satisfaction and the demand of satisfaction in our hearts is met by Jesus' death on the cross. That is the hope for us, that we can come to Jesus with our seemingly insurmountable need and find that, He can satisfy us completely. The grand point of this story is the utter sufficiency of Christ for all the needs of life. He saves us and he satisfies us. The sea was so often a picture of his quiet life, but not tonight. The 12 baskets were. They were full, just like his heart. And Jesus had done that. Only Jesus can. If you're here tonight... And you know Jesus, but your spiritual temperature could be described as cold. If things haven't been as good lately. You've drifted a bit. You're not at church as much as you could be or should be. Your faith doesn't feel as vibrant or important. If you're here tonight and you know Jesus, but your, your spiritual temperature could be described as cold, then this story, this miracle, should warm your heart. And it should reorientate you. And help you to see that whatever you're chasing after, whatever you're living for, whatever you're gradually turning to, will never fill you like Jesus can fill you. So turn back to him tonight. Run to him tonight. Rest in him tonight. Find your satisfaction and hope in him tonight. Well, what if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian? It's often the case that the heart of Christ is most clearly seen in seemingly throwaway fountain pen lines used by the gospel writers. There's one such story. In there's one such line in this story. The apostles return from their mission. They're tired. They need a break. Jesus takes them away to Bethesda, but their spiritual retreat is disturbed by people. Does Jesus get angry? Does Jesus lose the rag? Look at what look, look at what verse 11 says. We're told. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he welcomed them. It's often the case that the heart of Christ is most clearly seen in seemingly, throw, in seemingly throwaway fountain pen lines used by the gospel writers. That is a throwaway line. And he welcomed them. But if you're not a Christian, it's a line that reminds you that Jesus welcomes people who turn to him. He doesn't turn people away. He isn't tight-fisted. He, he welcomes people. So with that in mind, let me invite you to come to him tonight. For the first time, the, the, there is a limit to what you can do for yourself spiritually. Outside of Christ, you're spiritually dead and cannot reach him unless God performs a miracle. And Jesus is the only one who can save you and ultimately satisfy you. So you need to come to him. You come broken to be mended. You come wounded to be healed. You come desperate to be rescued. You come empty to be filled. You come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And you're welcomed. Jesus says you are welcomed with open arms, just as you are. This is a great story, and we shouldn't just skim over it just because we know it really well. It reminds us that Jesus alone can satisfy and save us, and he welcomes us when we come to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this story, a story that we know so well, a story that we've try to place ourselves in tonight. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings us, for how it reminds us that we have all that we need in our precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we've been given just a small window into the heart of Christ, of how he is so compassionate and kind. In just a moment, we're going to sing, Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thy art visit us with thy salvation enter every trembling heart lord that is our prayer tonight that people who don't trust in jesus would find that the the god shaped hole in their hearts and lives can only be filled by him we pray that by your spirit you would bring people to trust in christ for the first time and we pray these things In his powerful name, amen.